0: Thank you for downloading the weekly sermon from Trinity Reformed Church in Bloomington, Indiana. To find more great content, please check out our website at trinityreformed.org. Enjoy the sermon. Let us hear the word of God as recorded for us in John chapter 14, verses 1 to 6. Do not let your heart be troubled. This is the word of God, and it is eternally true. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you this morning that you have condescended, that you have loved us, and have lowered your Son to live a life among sinful men, that those who believe may be saved. Father, give us faith this morning to believe your word. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of every one of our hearts be acceptable In thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Jesus is with his disciples now, and he's in the upper room. And this is a passage of scripture that we all know very well, and we principally know it because typically you read it to those who are dying. It's a comfort to those who are very sick, It's a comfort at funerals. And consequently, it's one of those texts that tends to be yanked out of its context. We don't tend to read it in the context of when it was said, by whom, to whom, and for what reason. We bring it to ourselves, separate it, and it gives us hope for dying. And of course, that's appropriate. You know, people today say, well, don't proof text. Are you serious? You know, the rest of your life, you're going to remember snippets of things your dad and your mother said. You know, that's not proof texting. You know, we do remember little small segments of things, you know. And so there's nothing wrong with proof texting. But it is also helpful to be reminded when it was said, to whom it was said, why it was said and how it worked with them, because that's its original context. So Jesus is with his disciples when he says this, and it is in the upper room. And what has happened immediately before? Well, immediately before, you remember the beginning of the week, triumphal entry, which is a bit of a kiss and a promise, and the, yeah, they got it, but no, they didn't get it. He goes directly in the temple. He cleanses the temple. The Pharisees are furious. They already wanted him dead. And so they hound him that week. Well, that week he hounds them. Finally, he pulls out the stops and plays his organ. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, then go and read um, The Woe to Use. All the stops are pulled. Jesus says everything that there is to say about the wickedness of the religious leaders. And no, we haven't changed. We are those people today. It just bugs the snot out of me that people today think that we have evolved past having Christians and their leaders need to be confronted. And it's just so stupid Where in Scripture do you ever see leaders who are godly and who are really sinners and need to be confronted? (laughs) Right? Right? Are you with me? Everybody with me? Okay. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning because they're in the upper room, and he's just gotten done saying to them, you know, there's been a crescendo building all week. They know that the religious leaders are out for his blood. He's told them they're out for his way. He's told them they're going to die. He, they know it's going to be a bloody, awful mess. And then he says to them, one of you is going to betray me. And they're like, ah, who? Well, then Judas leaves. Judas has decided he loves money, and so he's going to get his silver. He's been stealing from the purse, the common purse, you know. And so now there's 11, right? And then what happens? Well, just a a couple verses before this, he says this. He says, Little children. And that's such a beautiful preface to what he's going to say because it's so sweet to see Jesus referring to these men as little children. Little children, I am with you a little while longer. You will seek me. And as I said to the Jews, Now I also say to you, where I'm going, you cannot come. If you think about how often Jesus had said to his disciples that the Son of Man was going to suffer and die, you know that they knew this already. They've been told it already. Where he's going, they can't come. They're not all having fantasies about dying. They're trying to put off what Jesus has said. They're trying to, no, or never remember what Peter said. Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. And so Jesus keeps hitting the theme, and here he says what they already know, but they don't know, okay? And he says, where I am going you cannot come. And so the disciples are facing this cold, hard fact of death and of separation. And so we see here how tender the relationship of love with Jesus is and how Jesus addresses some little children. And so Simon Peter <coughs> Simon Peter responds by appealing to Jesus. He says to him, verse 36, just a couple of verses before this, he says to Jesus, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered, where I go, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me later. Well, we love Peter for responding. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you? Why excuse me, said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus said, I'm sorry, I'm getting confused. Lord, why can I not follow you right now? I will lay down my life for you. Okay, so this is crossing the river. Because before, they're just Peter's denying that he has to die. Well, now Peter feels the growing tension. He knows there's going to be a bloodbath, that Jesus is going to have his blood shed. And so now, Peter crosses the bridge. Instead of denying it, he says, it's going to happen. But Lord, I still will not leave you. I will follow you. I will die. Okay? Okay? Peter declares he's ready to lay down his life for his master. And in this, Peter is like all of us sinners. Peter is so sure of his own fidelity and his own courage. He's so sure of his motives. He's so sure of his commitments. He's so very, very certain of his undying love. And so how does Jesus respond to Peter at this point? Well, Jesus saw Peter as he really was, and what a relief to be known as we are. And Jesus answered him, will you lay down your life for me? Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, a rooster will not crow until you deny me three times. <laughs> Yikes. You know, there's, there's, the, there's the confidence, right? And this is the fact of sin. This is the fact of your sinful heart. Yours. This is the strength and the faith of your sinful heart and of your children's and of your parents. This is the fact of life in this world. None of us, not, not a single one of us, is as good as we judge ourselves to be. Peter would not and he could not follow through on his commitment to join Jesus in death because before the rooster crowed three times, He had denied him three times, and with many curses to a little servant girl at the fire. You know, really intimidated. You know, I just love it that that's that Scripture tells us who it was that he denied the Lord to. It'd be one thing if it was Iron Man. You know. All of us are cowards, all of us are sinful, all of us betray the Lord, all of us run for our lives, abandoning our loved ones, and particularly Jesus. And so did Jesus love Peter? Did Jesus love this man who was filled with large thoughts of his own courage and commitment? Did Jesus love this man so certain of his own love for Jesus Who, in a few hours, was reduced to cursing and angry denial of Jesus? Did Jesus love this large, loud, sinful man named Peter? This is the precise moment, Okay, right here, right here, that Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. Now, come on. It's a non sequitur. It doesn't follow. It's weird. You guys are all a bunch of cowards. You're going to abandon me. Look at what's happened to Judas. Peter, yeah, 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 yeah. You're going to die for me? <laughs> I tell you. In just a little while, you're going to deny me. No, 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 I'll die for you. Nope, you're going to deny me. Let not your heart be troubled. (laughs) It is weird. It is weird. That's why I say you have to see the context for this. You have to see when did Jesus say that and to whom. Jesus said it. To 11 men who had spent three years eating and sleeping and breathing and teaching and working with him. You say, well, what's the point with that? And I say, well, they only grew in their love, everybody but Judas. They only grew in their love, right? But the other thing is, to whom much is given, much will be required, you would think that after three years of living and breathing and eating with the Son of Man, you would get to the point where you would not run. Right? And so I'm trying to make the case that the sin is particularly heinous. They have been given much, and so much is required. And they're going to run, and Peter's going to deny him. Let not your heart be troubled. Come on. Why did Jesus say that? Why did Jesus say that? Jesus said that because Jesus is tender with sinners. He's tender. Jesus didn't come to save the righteous. The righteous have no need for a disgustingly humiliating death, blood and gore on a cross outside the city. The righteous don't need that. The righteous won't have that. The righteous believe in God. The righteous believe in social justice. The righteous know precisely what social justice is. And the righteous will tell you that you don't have it. One of the shameful things about the church today is that the church is trying desperately to avail itself of the morality of the world. And you know, you might be sympathetic to some of the talk about, you know, name your poison, you know, to revoices saying that, that the church has harmed them, you know, to Me Too saying that men have harmed them, to, you know, to the, uh, to the BLM movement led, started by a bunch of women who hate men and hate fatherhood and hate families. You read about them. Go read about them. And they have a righteousness that they will tell you, you need to conform yourself to. So the whole world is crying over George Floyd. You know, Mary Lee was crying in our, in our study yesterday. And she hadn't even watched the movie. The world puts out, pulls out all the stops to try to get you to realize that all you have to do to be righteous is just have the problem sensibilities. Just see the evil they tell you. Now, these are the same people who love sexual perversion and who kill their unborn children. The same people. And the church is just working so hard to prove its righteousness. Seriously. Now, do you think that the disciples in the upper room right then having been told by Jesus what they were going to do to him, not to some hypothetical construct, but to him, right there, right there, right. Okay, do you think they were feeling righteous? Do you think that the moral of the story was that they had to perform better, that they had to see inside of themselves that they were, had been desensitized? to? Do you think there was anything desensitized about any of them? The holiness that saves us is the holiness of Jesus Christ. And only those who are saved by the holiness of Jesus Christ ever have any moral sensitivities. Ever. You know, I've been thinking all week about the comparison between the women that started Black Lives Matter and William Wilberforce. (laughs) You know, compare and contrast, essay. Listen, there are a lot of people in this world who do not believe that they need the blood of Jesus Christ. They know what is right, and they're doing it. And they will tell you where you're wrong. And why? Because they're righteous. Do you understand? They're righteous. But they're in that room at that moment were 10 men, 11 men, 12 men. But they were missing one of the 12, but Jesus is the other one, okay? There in that room were 12 men, 11 of whom had been completely laid low by the only one who has ever been righteous. He knew them. He knew the heart of man. He knew that they would abandon him, and he knew that Jesus that, you, that uh, Peter would, would deny him. <clears throat> okay, he just told him, okay? Peter said, no, 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 no. He'd say, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Three times you're going to deny me. Well, that shut Peter up, right? Right then, Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. Now, what do you think their hearts were troubled? Typically, what we think is, well, because Jesus was going to die, and and they were afraid of being left alone and without him. Well, yeah, that was part of the troubling. But do you really think that that was all of it? Do you think their hearts weren't troubled by him telling them that they wouldn't stand, that they'd abandon him? In other words, their hearts were troubled by their sins. Nobody was telling them what they had to do to be righteous. They were telling, are you with me? They were telling Jesus about their righteousness. And Jesus was saying, "Ah, ah, 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 no. And then their hearts are troubled. And Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. And then he says, you believe in God... Believe also in me. Well, what are they supposed to believe in God for? Well, nothing, because even the demons believe in tremble. <laughs> you know, you believe in God. Believe also in me. What are they supposed to believe in Jesus for? You can see that there is some tension between those two things, right? you believe in God, believe also in me. Why would somebody believe in God and not believe in Jesus? Why? At this point, John Calvin says that everybody believes in God. Everyone. And I know, you know, you're prepared to say that, you know, well, everybody doesn't. They're atheists. <laughs> What I've noticed about atheists is there's a lot of animus in them against someone that does not exist. right? I mean, that's what everybody thinks about atheists. Why do you hate him so much if he doesn't exist? You know? It's kind of hard to blame the state of your life on a wife that you've divorced and left behind. You know A lot of people do it, but you know, kind of seems pathetic. of seems pathetic for people to spend their lives attacking a God that they deny exists. You can say, well, you know, they're attacking all the stupid people that believe that God exists. And I say, no, that doesn't explain the inner varsity guy that keeps showing up at inner varsity meetings on campus, and his identity is the atheist. Everybody believes in God. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God, <laughs> you know. He said it, that's what the Bible says. Does he really believe it? You believe in God, believe also in me. At this point, Calvin goes off on why we will believe in God and will not believe in Jesus. So ask yourself, before I tell you the riddle, or the solution, ask yourself, why would it be that men would believe in God? And by the way, I use the word men inclusively all the time. Get used to it. Okay, Why would, people, why would men believe in God but not believe in Jesus Christ? What's the problem with believing in Jesus Christ? You notice that it's the disciples he says, you believe in God, believe also in me. Why would you believe in God and not believe in Jesus? What Calvin says is that all of us are very good at crafting our image of God. We've never seen God. And so we speak about, well, my God is this, and my God is that, right? You know? And we all have our theories about who God is, and we've never seen him. And so it's easy for us to do that, right? You know, And he says, but the problem is that God has come to us, incarnate, in flesh, and he is Jesus Christ. And what's the problem with Jesus? Why would we believe in God rather than Jesus? Well, Jesus puts flesh... On God. (laughs) Jesus all of a sudden says, you brood of vipers. Well, our God doesn't talk like that. Jesus says, how often I've longed to gather you as a hen gatherer. But you would not. Our God wouldn't be so insecure. I mean, it sounds like he fears Rejection. And then the the greatest scandal of our—it's exactly what the Muslims said to me in Hyde Park in London. I confessed that I was a Christian to them, and immediately they said, "Oh, oh, oh, so you worship Jesus?" And I said, "Yes, I do." And they said, "Some god you have! Couldn't keep himself from being killed." I don't think I had ever felt the shame of being a Christian before the way I did that moment. And that is the way the world looks at the cross. It's the way the world looks at Jesus. There are a lot of reasons to not love Jesus. A lot of reasons to be embarrassed by Jesus. He was a he was an awful failure. In the last 10 or 15 years, I've been very grateful that finally the church of Jesus Christ has been humbled. You know, that finally you have some sense that the Christian church has no cultural cachet. (laughs) In other words, we actually aren't strong. We actually aren't rich. We actually are bedraggled. Anybody feeling bedraggled right now as a Christian? It's like we're getting whooped. And it's such a relief to me. Having grown up at the center of Wheaton in the heyday of Christian faith. Listen. The Son of Man... Had no place to lay it, his head. He was rejected of men. He was a man of sorrows. And right about now, after a year of COVID, after all the fighting, after every corporation and every every sport are just absolutely falling all over themselves to give in to any woman that yells at them. And yes, I said that intentionally. And the church, everyone's afraid of saying something wrong somewhere because their jobs are on the line, all of us. And my job's on the line if I say something you know, on on the blog or in a book or here that gets you in trouble because they can look that up and say, Eric, is this your pastor? And they're looking for things to say to Eric. Trust me. Okay. You're all going to abandon me. And Peter, you're going to deny me. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. And there they are in all their sin and weakness. They know he speaks the truth. They can't quite imagine how it's going to go down. They still have large thoughts of themselves. But they trust Jesus enough that he's a pretty good prophet and he's likely to be right about how strong they are or weak right you know and so they're all sort of <laughs> let not your heart be troubled my heart is troubled let not your heart be troubled you believe in god believe also okay <laughs> i'll believe in you i believe in you i believe in you i believe in you in my father's house are many mansions. Well, another non-sequitur. <laughs> you know? It was death! You know? It's night! It's dark! It's gonna happen, you know? You're gonna abandon me, but let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe. In my Father's house are many mansions. And it's if you watch this thing, it's like Jesus is a ditz-brain. It's like, how is this helping You know, you've just assaulted us with our sin. We're laid low, and you say, don't let your hearts be troubled. I thought the reason you said those nasty things to us about what we were going to do was to trouble our hearts, and they are troubled. But let let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Okay, okay, now what are you going to say? In my Father's house are many mansions. Many dwellings. Excuse me? What on earth? You know, what on earth? What we're dealing with is death and destruction and mayhem and depression. We're dealing with night. But I'm not supposed to let my heart be troubled, so I won't let my heart be troubled. I'll believe in you. I I have left everything to follow you. I do believe in you. In my father's house are many dwelling places. If it weren't so, (laughs) I would have told you. Well, they know that's true. They know Jesus loves them. And they know he knows everything. They know it's true. If it weren't so, he would have he would have told him, right? I go to prepare a place for good people who are racially woke. I go to prepare a place for that one single man who has been effeminate all his life. And therefore has been preternaturally good. <laughs> I have all these thoughts that go through my brain as I'm preaching. You know, All the ways our world would tell us that we could earn our way into his father's house where he's preparing a place for us, right? I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, now that's not a conditional if, right? Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. He doesn't lie. And so it's not conditional. It is because I go to prepare a place for you. If I go to, pre- I will come again. In other words, Jesus is not going to rot in the grave. Hey, get your minds out of the gutter of your own sin and how, how it's going to hurt me. It hurt Jesus. And Don't be troubled, you know. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it weren't so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again. (laughs) I will come again. I mean, imagine their brains exploding. You're going to come again? What they thought was they were about to lose him. They thought he was going to abandon them. No, 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 no. No, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again to where I am. They're you. You, maybe also. Who is he saying you to? He's saying you to the ones who will abandon him and the one who will deny him. Too much is given, much will be required. Their sin is great. And it's exacerbated by the fact that it comes precisely at his day and moment of greatest vulnerability. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again that where I am, there you may be also. And then, the one we always love is who? We always love Thomas, right? Lord, let me put my fist into your side. I don't believe you actually have been raised from the dead. Come here, I want to see the holes, right? You remember Thomas, Doubting Thomas, he's called. And Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? <laughs> you know? <laughs> and Jesus says what? What? He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Oh, my goodness. All we have to do is to confess our sin. That's all we have to do. In other words, all we have to do is to be humble. Or... Maybe I can put it away that it'll go down easier. All we have to do is be realists. <laughs> All we have to do is be truthful. Stop lying. You are not good. Inside of you dwells no good thing, not one. All your righteousness is, is filthy rags. Every one of you. And I will admit that some of you, I like your filthy rags better than other people's filthy rags. We all have filthy rags in other people. In other words, their righteousness that we prefer over other people's. You know what I'm saying? In other words, all of us have are connoisseurs of sins and have certain vintages that are But I mean, how awful is that? Listen, listen, dear brothers and sisters. I guarantee you that Jesus told the truth when he said that in heaven, the last shall be first, and the first shall be last. And so this morning, I had the wonderful privilege of watching Lucy walk in the church. Oh! Is Lucy here? Huh? Uh, she left. Well, then I can, I can show you how she walks. This is how Lucy walks. She's bent over. Literally bent over. And if you ever talk to Lucy, Lucy is the classic uh, e- example of somebody who as they go by you, they do this. What is that? I'm not here. I'm not here. I don't exist. I'm worth nothing. This is what Lucy testifies about herself all the time. Does Lucy love Jesus? Huh. Does, does Lucy love the church? Does Lucy love children? Has Lucy become like a little child? Is there something wrong with Lucy? Well, yes. Or no. <laughs> but not maybe. There's no middle of the road with Lucy. Listen, dear brothers and sisters. The reason that I chose this is the text. Usually we have a victorious text on Easter. But we have been hit hard this last year. And we're grieving. We really do miss Adam. And there are mothers here who miss babies that they had kicking in their womb. And we really have been hit hard by COVID. We have been reminded that we're dust. And all the apping about government and public health actually hasn't done a good job of hiding that we're dust. And so, we are the disciples in the upper room. We have met the enemy, and he is me. I am the sinner. I deny Jesus. I can't I cannot, and and I cannot be faithful to him. I wake up at night. I always have been able to sleep through the night. Lately, I've been waking up at night. What do you do when you wake up at night? You think about your sin. That's what you do. And you try to get it out of your mind by thinking about the garden. Thinking about the grass. Thinking about how I trimmed the grass today. Aren't I great? You know, honestly, that's what I think about. You know? Or I think about how my sin isn't as bad as other people's sin. Or I think about all the good things that I do. and I have all this sin in my life, all this sin. And Jesus says to me, "Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God?" Yep. Believe also in me." <laughs> yep. In my father's house are many mansions. Really? If it weren't so, I would have thought, "Well, I, I buy that. I go to prepare a place for you. Uh, that's, that's hard. That's hard because I don't think I deserve any place in his father's house. Honestly, truthfully, truthfully, truthfully. And if I go <laughs> to prepare a place for you, I will come again that where I am. There you may be also. And it's like, dude, seriously? Seriously? I can't bring myself there, but you say you will come again. Okay. It's a deal. I believe in God. I will believe also in you. I will give you all my sin. I will not be precious with any of it. I will not allow the world to tell me what to confess. I will confess what you convict me of. And I will not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I will not do it. Oh yeah, you will. You'll deny me yet today. (laughs) Well, I believe that, but nevertheless, I won't be ashamed of the gospel. of Jesus. I will not be ashamed of Jesus' words or himself. Oh yeah, you will. Nope, won't do it. He's coming again, and I will be taken to be where he is, and it will be his father's house. So I'm going to end with a couple of things, both illustrations. You know that growing up, you know, my brothers kept dying, 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 all three of them, and my mother kind of went wacko. (laughs) <laughs> you know, I mean, death will do that to people. There's nothing wrong with it. Especially the death of children. And so back in Philadelphia, we had this little stereo. And had some speakers. It was a record player. And I remember when I was a kid that my mother would play this record over and over and over again. So it's burned into my brain. And it's a song that I didn't know other people knew until the first service, where I said, any of you know it? And David Carell knew it and came up and sang it, but he's not here now, right? Oh, yeah, you are. Well, come on up. (laughs) Sorry. He tried to hide. He thought he would get away with not doing it this time. But it turns out that David and I and my mother all know the same song, and maybe some of you do. And I heard this song over and over and over again when I was a little child in Philadelphia. I'm just going to sing the chorus, and you sing it too, so I'm not singing alone. Coming again... Coming again, maybe morning, maybe noon, maybe evening, and maybe soon. Coming again, coming again. Oh, what a wonderful day that will be. Jesus is coming again. One more time. Coming again. Coming again, maybe morning, maybe noon, maybe evening, and maybe soon. Coming again, coming again. Oh, what a wonderful day that will be. Jesus is coming again. Thank you. So about 35 years later, I went back to Philadelphia on some business. And I had never gone back to the grave of my brothers. It's in Glenwood Memorial Gardens on Westchester Pike. And I decided to go see the graves. Or the grave, because they're all buried on top of each other in one grave. And so I went to the office of the, of the cemetery and I said, could you tell me where Joe Bailey is buried? And they said, yeah, and they looked up the plot number and they said, that's over in this area. And they said, you're probably going to have a hard time finding it. Well, Then I realized there are no memorial stones. But they had told me where it was going to be And they said I might be able to find it. So I went out into the grass, and it was just, you know, grass. But then I began to notice that some places there was a stone lowered into the grass, and the grass had covered it up. And then I found my brother's grave. Okay? And sure enough, the grass was matted over it, you know, they didn't clean off the markers down at soil level, they just kept cutting the grass over them, very easy, didn't have to trim anything. And there was a big brass plaque, down low in the grass, about, well, actually, this long. And I took a brass rubbing of it. That's a reproduction their grave. And so now it's hanging in my living room kitchen. It's hanging in my brother's. I don't think it's hanging in my sister's house. And that was the comfort of my parents as they left behind the bodies of their children. And they knew that Jesus had promised that he would come again. And then do what? You remember what it says. If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again. And he will take us to heaven. Why? Why? That where I am, there you may be also. Uh, what a priceless Savior. How tender He is with us. How understanding of our sin. How gentle. How gentle. Father, Come again, Maranatha. Oh, Father, please find us not getting drunk and partying. Please find us about your work. Strengthen us as your people. Give us faith. Help us to do the work that you have set out that when you return, we may hear those most precious of all words. Well done good and faithful servant, strengthen Dawn and all her children, strengthen mothers and fathers who have lost little ones in and outside of the womb. Give us joy on this day that there is a place in your father's house for each of us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.